Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content at burntorangenation.com. Before we dive in today, though, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton of visibility. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. Only place we're not at is Spotify because they still won't return my emails. Again, I'm going to say that until they return my emails. Uh, well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I am joined by my good friend, a man whose rhymes are like a vitamin held without a capsule, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Good, man. I think the vitamin is a topic lyric this week because uh, I've been taking them. I've been I've been um, medicating on all things as I fight the like sixth week of a stomach bug. And I feel like I'm back in the land of the living. Um, I am, I'm eating real food for the first time. Shout out to my coworkers taking me for Indian food to really test the, uh, how good the stomach bug was doing. Um, but, uh, but Hey man, we're, we're really close to being back there. So I'm feeling 110% just for being 80%. So I'm, uh, I'm loving life right now. You look, you look more vibrant. There's definitely a spring in your step for, Sure. So we've got a uh, a varied show for you this week. Uh, we're going to talk some spring practice. Texas completed its first week of spring practice. Uh, women's basketball completed its run in the NCAA tournament. Uh, baseball continues to roar through Big 12 play. Uh, and then some transfers and some changes are happening in the men's basketball front, obviously. Uh, we'll close the show with some bang the drum. So let's just start off with everybody's favorite sport on campus. I don't, I don't want to say everybody's favorite sport, but... It's the one that brings in the most dollars, so we'll start uh, there. So Texas is in the midst of spring practice. They've completed a week and not a ton of news coming out of it. Tom Herman uh, doesn't have a ton of open practices. He does a couple a week, uh, you know, media availability therein, but there's not a ton of news coming out, no depth charts, nothing like that. Uh, but there was something that Texas posted on social media. It's actually a video of a ridiculous one-handed Odell Beckham Jr. style snag from our friend of the show, Colin Johnson. We'll post a a link to that in the show notes if you haven't seen it. It's pretty impressive. Uh, It's also impressive that he's being covered by Anthony Cook in that, which that's some great coverage from the fish right there. Absolutely. Good things are coming. But so we, you know, we talked last week about quarterbacks and running backs, we figured we just keep that theme going and talk. Uh, offensive skill positions, we'll keep it there. Wide receivers and tight ends, which were both kind of a position of need for Texas these last few years. So, Kyle, with you know Colin Johnson being probably one of the most talented receivers in the conference, Texas losing a lot at wide receiver with Reggie Hempel Maps transferring out. He was kind of the more consistent slot guy. Uh, you've got Armonte Foreman exhausting his eligibility, so he is uh, hopefully going to be playing somewhere next year what does the receiver position look like for texas in 2018 well to go back to that video um hopefully it means that a guy like colin you know colin johnson who has all of the potential all of the the raw intangibles you know size speed um ability to do things like that that don't seem particularly human um hopefully that means that that's carrying over i mean i Right now, like you said, we're not really getting a ton out of practice, but we're just getting pure hype when we do get something directed straight into the veins, and I'll take it. Um, I want to see plays like that. But one thing watching that, there's a couple notes from that that I just want to real quick throw in. Uh, Like you said, Anthony Cook playing Division I college football, pristine coverage um, on on Kojo was awesome to see. Uh, The dude who threw it, by the way, was Cam Rising. So 
just to throw a little uh, little gasoline on the speculation fires. Um, and uh, and then just the way that the entire team, offense, defense, everyone like hyped around him and just like lifted him up. Like I think it it fits the narrative that we've been hearing that these guys feel like a team. I mean, every spring practice, every team um, sets personal weight room records. You know, uh, has has the most cohesion. Is all this? You know, I don't know if you remember that Texas football was. Uh, soon to be ping pong national champions a couple years ago but uh um it was still just wonderful to see just the team getting hyped for big plays getting out there um and revving them up so to to transition that um i'm hoping what that means is we have a guy like colin johnson to be the anchor of this unit he has every um everything you need to be to be a a dominant first option on a very good collegiate offense um I'm thinking back to our days and our, our old uh, in college NCAA dynasties. Having a dude like Kojo would be a game breaker. It's like no, no, no you can't do that. Um, our good friend Raymond Summerlin, I believe, had like a six-seven uh, receiver on his on his dynasty that he just threw bombs to. Um, who could? Yeah, Alshon be. Jeffrey, if I recall. That's what it was. He was South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. And uh, I don't remember exactly. I think I won the first two national champions of that uh, dynasty. But <clears throat> anyways, you know, that's neither here nor there. But uh, you know, that's. That's really a cheat code when you have a guy who's fast, who's giant, who can't be covered. Um, that's what Colin Johnson should be doing, and I'm so excited uh, just to see glimpses of that. But, you know, we got months to go, but I want to see that in full pads uh, against teams that aren't wearing, you know, burn orange or white. So I really think Colin Johnson can lock down that X spot. Um, to me, I mean, what it's looked like just in early, early drills, and no one, no one, this is just not important for what you know the, the the opening day looks like i think there's going to be a lot of variance but it looked like um heard who's been one of the guys they've been saying is really stepping up as one of the leaders on the team herman did release that in a in a press conference but uh gerard heard might have uh one of the uh positions maybe the either the slot or the other outside position he's been working in both and then duvernay uh who is a guy you and i both really want big things for um and really couldn't get involved in the game last year um i mean again when you have a guy who uh, really is a straight line speed. We have two of those with, with Bert as well. But when you have uh, guys like that that, uh, you know, are straight line speed and you don't have a line that can give a pocket, it's hard. But I'm really excited to see what Duvernay can look like stretching offenses. Colin Johnson on the other side stretching offenses. John Burt um, stretching and then all the all the work underneath that uh, that probably heard. And I think some other guys in that X spot like, like LJH, uh, Lil Jordan Humphrey, one of – our shared favorite players on the, t- on the field. Um, I, I really think you're going to see a combination of those guys. Maybe the young Brennan Eagles gets in there. Um, I think it's going to be interesting. Remember we're, yeah, we don't have a hemp hill map. So it'll be curious to see who the guy uh, that Beck and Herman really want to get um, kind of the, give them the ball in space and let them, let them make their own yardage, give them some reverses, give them some trick plays. Um, just, you know, kind of the, the athlete who you want to want to let eat a little bit and let him beat the, beat the, uh, beat the defense. So I'm curious to see who that guy is going to be almost more than anything. What, uh, what are you thinking? Well, I think the first thing you see, and you mentioned it kind of specifically, you know what they're going for at that Z spot because you don't have Duvernay and, and Burt as your one and two in that spot if you're not looking for the burners. Like, you clearly know what they're going for there. That's their speed guy. Um, you know, Lil Jordan Humphrey is a guy who's got the size and the skills to literally play at any spot on on as a receiver. He could even probably slot in at a tight end against a team with uh, some maybe some slower linebackers try to exploit that yeah. uh, that matchup. So I'm, I'm a huge Huge little Jordan Humphrey fan. I think of all of the receivers this last year, he probably flashed the most mm-hmm. for me, just as far as raw talent and ability. Uh, you know, Jared, Gerard Hurd is a guy that I want to see do something because he was 
you know, three years ago, he was the guy in the backfield and, and I actually loved a lot of what he did. And he, yeah. you know, he was a huge part of a lot of Texas's runs and, you know, he was there for the Notre Dame game that didn't necessarily turn out to be that big of a win. Uh, but he definitely had a big hand in that. Yeah. So I love to see guys like Hurd who are unselfish, who know, hey, I want to go and help the team. Like, I want to see that guy do a lot of big things. As far as X's and O's, I think for me it all hinges on what does the offense want to do. You know, do we, do we want the intermediate passes? Do we want the dinks and dunks? Because then Colin Johnson merely becomes a guy who stretches the defenders and opens it up for your guys underneath, like Hurd, like Humphreys. Um, you know, he's one of those guys or even a, um, you know, a guy who's not on campus yet. Um, but Joshua Moore has already kind of been in the mix as, as you know, Herman said it in his, in his signing day press conference and Moore is probably going to see some looks at that inside receiver as well. Yeah. So, to me, of all of the positions on either side of the ball, I think receiver is the most wide open based on the inconsistency from last year, based upon the fact that it's a weird position because it was a low producing position last year. But as far as talent floor yeah. goes, yeah. it's got to be one of the highest on the team. Yeah, it might be our, our most talented position just from a looking at the guys, what they can do, what their film looks like. I mean, you have you have eight guys, 10 guys who should be legit, like D one 50 catches a year receivers. I mean, I guess to me, I, I really want to give them that extended benefit of the doubt, just from the fact that we didn't have an offensive line or a chance to sling the ball out to them. We were really um, always, you know, basically we were always trying to find a way to mask and work around our deficiencies. I mean, we were running PA boot screens or something just to try to get uh, another NCAA shout out, just to try to get uh, to get quarterbacks, you know, three seconds to throw the ball. You know, it was uh, it's I wanted to see more from them. Yes. And there were times when there was a little bit of drops issues and guys who weren't getting the separation that made it easier for the quarterbacks. But I want to give them the benefit of the doubt for the guys returning. And I want to just, you know, give all these guys who are coming in uh, with all this talent and the, the receiver position, let them get in. I mean, Tom Herman has the philosophy that no one, no position is, is not open, you know, and I think, like you said, this might be the, the most wide open. So it's going to be really interesting to see, A, what week one looks like, and then, you know, once Texas is playing in the BCS championship, what that week um, looks like. Uh, BCS uh, championship, take it back a couple of years. <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck on this NCAA, uh, NCAA, whatever year that was, 2013 dynasty that 14. we did. 14. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's deep. Um, that was some of the best times of our life. But one thing we have made the mistake of doing, as we said, this is going to be receivers and tight ends, and we talked the passing game, we have not mentioned a tight end yet. And I'm hoping that that is not going to be the case this season. Well, I, I did mention that little Jordan Humphrey could probably play tight end. Fair, fair. Uh, so technically, technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. If you, depending <laughs> on who you ask. No. So that has been a position we've joked about it before the curse of your Michael Finley. Yes. Uh, you know, Caleb blew it gets real offended when you don't mention him as a Texas tight end. <laughs> but, you know, the guy caught, I think, three passes over his two seasons playing tight end. But so, some very memorable uh, ones, truly. Well, yeah, he has probably the the highest touchdown-to-catch ratio in school history. <laughs> I think it's a, a two-thirds touchdown-to-catch ratio, if I, I do it. recall correctly. But so, yeah, Andrew Beck is... is 
Right now, according to these reports that we've seen working out with the ones, uh, Reese Latow is working out with the twos. Um, you know, you've got guys that are still out with injury that may not be available for the spring. So from everything I've seen, the tight end position has to be a hybrid in this offense. Whether you look yeah. at Ohio State with, you know, um, with Beck, or if you look at Herman in Houston, like the tight end has to be able to both block in line and be a threat to catch a pass, which any offense really your tight end has to be a guy that can block and catch a pass, especially when you, you want to establish the run. It may be a spread offense, but you don't bring in Herb hand. If you're not trying to establish the run as a primary part of what your offensive identity is. So that, that to me is again, a big question mark and a position that Texas hasn't necessarily rec- recruited well over the last yeah. three or four seasons. They've missed on some big guys. Uh, they've had some commits and the decommits that turned out to yeah. really hurt them. So tight end for me is a big question mark. I think Beck played really well before the injury. Yeah. Um, and, and Laytow, you know, I've seen some football from Jenks high school. They, they, uh, there was a streak when I before I moved up here and was covering high school football here in Oklahoma that it was either his high school jinx or union that won like the last 10 state championships, which is just ridiculous. So uh, they play a little bit of football out in Tulsa. So Laytown knows what he's doing. He's good. Yeah. So I, I don't know what the tight end position looks like if I can condense that to a few words. Yeah, no, I think I think that's absolutely fair. I think the the main thing here is we have a couple guys who probably could – could do it. Um, I, I, you know, I, I remember listening to when I was out the week when you and Westcott talked a little about the tight ends and y'all were trying to name anyone who'd done anything. And I always want to shout out a, a buddy of mine, Blaine Irby, I think is probably my most like he was a huge recruit. He was the guy we got on campus and, and big expectations and really played really well before his, his nasty injuries. And I think that's just a part of that uh, lingering Jermichael Finley curse, um, which is second only to the you know Madden curse. And there are debates over which is worse. But uh, but yeah, I think we've said it the past couple of seasons, like, why not? Why can't we break out of that? You know, why can't we have, especially when you have younger quarterbacks, I know we're getting some age finally, but if, you know, it, if it's Ellinger um, in there, a second year quarterback, having a safety valve at tight end is awesome. I mean, you saw Vince use David Thomas and literally take that formula. Like you got athletes all around, but I have a safety blanket that I know I can always go to and be dependable um, on, you know, you had your, you just, you've had guys at Texas forever and you see that across the country. Um, you look at a guy like an OJ Howard who Alabama had the luxury of keeping in their back pocket and then just unleashed, you know, because the matchup worked in a national championship game and probably won them a national championship a few years ago. You know, that, that type of, that type of, uh, talent at that position is, I think a part, you know, the game is changing. The offense is changing across the, the national landscape, but I think there's still a position for a tight end for a bigger guy with good hands who can come in and help the run game, but who can also just create mismatches, um, on that, on that inside, uh, kind of area within, you know, five to five to 12 yards. So, um, I would love it if it's Beck, who's a guy who's been on campus and had some, had some streaks of bad luck but uh really whoever steps up i'm ready to cheer cheer big time texas just having a tight end streaks of bad luck colon the texas tight end story <laughs> it's just i don't know how else to describe it that position has been snake bit for such a long time such a long time and and, and hopefully they break out of it and you know i think they've got the talent to do it so we 
initially said we were going to spend a ton of time, and I think we're like 12 or 15 minutes in. Yeah. So let's let's move on really quickly. Uh, we're not mm-hmm. going to talk about this a ton, but uh, sources are saying that Texas is now negotiating for a home-and-home home series with Alabama. Uh, if you look at the home-and-homes that they already have scheduled for non-conference, things like that, uh, 2025 and 2026 are the most likely years based upon the other contracts that are out there. Uh, so theoretically, in seven and eight years, respectively, Texas could have a home game against Alabama on the schedule, which would be uh, be a pretty interesting uh, weekend, to say the least. I mean, all it does is prove the blog's right. You know, uh, Nick Saban has been coming to Austin for years now, so, uh, so uh, you know, it's glad glad to see that might finally be happening. But if Nick, if Nick Saban, if it is 2026 and he's still at Alabama, then we all have done something very, very wrong. That man needs to be forced into retirement. We need term limits on the Alabama head coach. Um <laughs> <laughs> but but truly no, uh, I think it's I think it's great. I think it's great for UT. You, you know, right now Alabama is the best. UT wants to, of course, get to that level and be the best. So why not? Um, why not bring them in? One thing, one note. Um, Texas has been doing, I think, a really really good job. And again, I'm I'm very reluctant to ever praise um, Patterson as as our AD. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give all this to Till Del Conte and, and Perrin, although he may have some role in it. But they've had some of the like tougher schedules and across sports. Baseball this year, I think. Has has the toughest schedule strength of schedule in the nation and probably by a by a gap you know a good margin basketball um had a top five strength of schedule texas i mean had a had a very tough higher one of the higher ranking in the big 12 because of their out of conference and you think if maryland doesn't lose like 11 guys at quarterback that even bumps it up more um with with that being a decent at least big 10 team um so i mean i, I think that's great I, that's that's what i want to see for texas i think that's what recruits want to see um I think Texas is one of the elite blue blood programs. So let's, you know, let's make sure those are the guys we're playing. Oh, and one other thing I did look up on winsopedia.com, which I believe is very reputable. I'm hoping. Um, but Texas has an all time series lead of seven, one, excuse me, seven wins, one tie and one loss. We're not going to talk about that one, but uh, you know, all starts <laughs> still an open wound for sure. But all time, Texas has absolutely dominated the Crimson Tide. I hope that continues in 2025 and 2026. Fingers crossed. So uh, we'll talk a bit of women's basketball. The ladies were in uh, in action this last weekend. The women's NCAA tournament is raging forward. Uh, the ladies basically immediately after we stopped recording, I think I was editing the podcast as this game was happening. Uh, Texas Kyle texted me that women's basketball was only up two points. They then cracked off a nine Oh run at that point. Never looked back and beat uh, the sun devils 85 to 65 uh, to head to the sweet 16. Uh, and then they were up actually on UCLA um, 39, 29 with 45 seconds left in the first half. And they literally scored like seven seven points or nine points in like 45 seconds uh, and went on to beat the Longhorns 84 to 75 in the sweet 16 ending the Texas season there. So Kyle looking back on a pretty successful season, uh, man, what, what did one, what did you think of the game? And two, what does that do for you um, as a Texas fan? Yeah. I, I mean, it was, I was proud of the girls. I think uh, they, we've said for a long time, Texas is a, is a women's sports school. And, uh, you know, that's a bit of a kind of sarcastic jive at the, the state of our men's teams right now. But, uh, you know, this is a team it's, you want to celebrate. They made it to a 16 sweet 16. Um, you know, they, they make that basically their benchmark where they get every year. And that's great. That's where we want to be as a baseline, but you do just kind of want a little bit more. If you feel like this team could have, 
could have gone a little bit further. I don't know if this was a national championship team, um, especially if, you know, the, the very smug Kim Mulkey would have had something to say about or the unbeatable Gino um, somewhere, you know, in the tournament. Those two teams I didn't see Texas necessarily getting the best of. But, uh, you know, this probably was like a top five six team in in the country for surely you know and, and I, I hate to see them go out in the sweet 16 but you know congrats to ucla um it was funny these two games like uh, you know I, I texted you i was kind of doing things also after our podcast and we had it on the background and i looked up and it was 40 to 38 and literally texas opened that first game up against arizona state and just never looked back and then this game it was uh it was 40 to 39 um similar time frame you know i guess that's kind of the turning point in texas games and uh in 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 ucla was able to get control back after texas looked like they were pulling away again um huh, you know i like I said, congratulations to the ladies on a wonderful year uh, for Texas sports. You love to see both the men's and women's team kind of have a familial aspect, especially with everything, you know, off the court going on with Andrew Jones, um, kind of being there and, and with, with support for both of the teams from the players of each. I love to see that. Um, I have a soft spot in my heart. As I've said many times, the women's basketball team were, were my residents when I was an RA at UT. And so I follow, follow the women's basketball team closely. Um, I think it's great. Like I said, let's set a baseline that we are every year, one of the top, you know, 12, 15 teams in the country, but let's make the next step. I think it's time. It's time for Texas basketball, women's basketball to, um, it's hard to ever say unseat UConn, but to be there, to be there and, and, uh, and make the deep run in the tournament. Um, and, and, you know, reward some what I think is good coaching and some some great talent uh, on the 40 acres in that program yeah I think as long as Karen Aston is in burnt orange <clears throat> I think Texas is going to be a power again you said it pretty well it's it's hard to see anybody unseat UConn with Gino there like that guy's just kind of untouchable um, for me honestly the toughest part about the the way it went down is just seeing you know Brooke McCarty and Ariel Atkins go out like that um, two ladies that have been bled burnt orange been kind of the heart and soul of that team um you know they they really carry i don't want to say carry the team because it's not necessarily like the rest of the team was bad but th- those girls were the heart and the soul of the team oh, yeah. they were the captains they were the seniors they were the elder states women like they were just phenomenal players and so i think um, it, it's tough to see those those types of players go out in a disappointing fashion. But uh, somebody said it really well on the men's tournament. Basically, every all but one season is going to end in disappointment. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, I wish it, they would have made a bit, bit of a deeper run, especially for those girls that, that really poured their heart and soul out. But again, man, it, it is a heck of a season. They were dominant in a lot of ways. And, and I'm excited to see the future of of ladies basketball that they've really uh, laid the foundation for. Definitely. Uh, switching over to a more shaky foundation of uh, <laughs> the men's basketball team. I don't know what's going on. So we got some news this week that uh, I say we got some news. Jacob Young tweeted it himself uh, that he is going to be transferring out of the university. So he's a sophomore shooting guard. Uh, he averaged... Uh, 6.2 points per game in his 16.8 minutes, uh, but he's probably best remembered for just filling up the basket uh, against Tech in the Big 12 tournament to kind of give Texas a run. He was kind of a spark toward the end of the season as Texas looked for guys. Um, you know, 
we can we can talk about what's going on with Shaka. We actually had a uh, a user email that that emailed us. He hit us up at uh, Longhorn Pod, Longhorn Republic Pod at gmail.com. You can email us there as well. Uh, he wants to know: Is this a black eye? Is the Jacob Young transfer a black eye for Shaka Smart? Kyle, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you for the for the email, Stephen, um, who emailed us there. Uh, I uh, I don't think to answer that question specifically. I don't think this is a black eye. Um, for for Chaka, I think um, it's probably a little bit indicative of a talent level at the the position we listed him as a shooting guard. I think in his mind, Jacob Young thinks of himself as a point guard. Um, I think one of the reasons potentially that he you know is looking elsewhere um, is is probably because that to me seems like you know you, you look at Coleman and his development, and he's probably going to be the point guard for the now and the future. Um, and then you, to me, that, that gives us a pretty good idea that I think Kerwin Roach um, has a good chance of coming back. And Young, you know, might have had a feeling that that, that he's still going to be behind him in the depth chart, wants to be a starter. I can completely understand that. I, you know, I, I you also, the other the other guy that we haven't talked almost at all about, but, you know, kind of sitting in the, in the back burners, Texas had um, Elijah Long transfer from St. Mary's, who's a very competent player, um, is going to be, a, I believe, a senior when he, when he can play next year, um, and is just going to kind of be probably the, the steadying force with the experience that he has. He has tournament experience. He has um, a lot of experience. He's going to be a useful addition to the team next year. So you just have, you know, you have a little bit of, you know, backlog at that position, which... Um, I almost, I almost wonder if, uh, um, I almost wonder if, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good sign to have guys transferring out, you know, cause a, they're, they're talented kids who want to start. That means they, you know, expect to be starting. And, and if that's not the case, that means there's a talent level there. They're also going after, you know, a big point guard recruit. So I think the cupboard is not anywhere close to bear in that position. And then one other thing to think about is if Andrew Jones is healthy and able to come back and, and truly is able to get back to his, his form and, and a hundred percent of where he was, I think he steps in and, and probably is ahead of another guy ahead of Jacob Young in the, in the pecking order. But that's not to say that I wouldn't have loved to have him here. So it uh, seems like a good kid. seems like a absolute fireball. Um, but uh, you know, I wish him luck wherever he, he ends up in the future. In in the system right now, it's he seems like he's the guy that gives you a spark off the bench, but he doesn't he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that wants to be the spark off the bench. He wants to be the guy, mm-hmm. and so he's not going to be the guy with what they have on campus. Like you said, I think that's that to me is the biggest issue is is he is not willing to play the come off the bench and hit you know three three pointers and and put Texas ahead. Or come off the bench and spark it, you know. He he honestly seemed more like the early career Manu Ginobili, who is a reserve in name only. You yeah. know, like yeah. he's he's probably the starter. Uh, he's going to come in and play a ton of minutes, but you know, there. I can't fault the guy for wanting to get playing time. You only get one career, and you've got to make a lot of d- tough decisions about what is going to be best for you. And so, with that being said, I, I don't know if it's a black eye for Shaka Smart. It feels like for Shaka, it's a death by thousand paper cuts. Mm. He's had some really, really crappy hands that he's been dealt. It seems like every year he has a stud player go down. It feels like every year he's got some dumb off the court stuff that happens. Um, so I don't know if necessarily if this is a black eye for Shaka, but it just seems to be really indicative of the luck he has had over the last three seasons where it's just something dumb keeps happening. 
and you can't really dig it out. And honestly, it feels a lot like Charlie Strong where yeah. dumb things keep happening and they're out of his control. But at some point, you as the CEO of that organization have to figure out how to get it done. And I think he will. You know, I, I think he's probably got at least two more seasons based on the way his contract is structured. There's a lot of money tied up in it. So yeah. I think he's probably got two years from a fiscal uh, <laughs> standpoint. So, uh, And he has the benefit of Texas not necessarily being a basketball school, even though fans may have outsized expectations of what the basketball team should be doing. Uh, I don't necessarily think that the pressure is as high as it could be on Shaco. Yeah, and I don't think anyone, I think this podcast, fiscally, you know, uh, or not, is is uh, on the fire Shaka bandwagon. And again, we said this a few weeks ago, I hope none of our, our listeners are, because I think we have, from, from what I can tell, smart listeners who like this podcast, who understand things. And I don't think in any way the fire Shaka smart is a smart decision, um, pun all intended and everything. But uh, but yeah, I shaka has got another year at least. He's, he's like you said, probably for just from a pure financial standpoint, got two years, and that's a lot of time in college basketball with the one and done culture. That's a lot of time to completely reinvent himself in this Texas team. You saw the upward swing from last year. I think losing you know Bomba and Young, it looks like, and, and again, I'm firmly in the Roaches coming back camp um, are are tough things, but they're a part of college basketball in this landscape, and I think they're definitely with the talent still here and the talent coming in things that he could he could handle, and this can be uh, an even better team next year i'm on team shaka at least for another season maybe maybe you'll see me feel differently after next season if it still is another tire fire uh but let's move on quickly to baseball we've got we're running a bit heavy this week uh baseball uh midweek matchup knocked off number 25 uh, same houston state three to two ending uh same houston state's nine game winning streak um you know there was a uh I'm just going to leave this to you. It was a, it was a pretty decent pitching performance uh, for for this win, at least. Yeah, it came in. It was a uh, we had some good relief, and Nolan Kingham came in and got the got the save. Which that guy just you know we're going to uh, talk about him throughout this season, but he looks to be the most important piece. Maybe uh, maybe after Cody Clemens, maybe the at least on the pitching staff, the most important piece of this Texas roster. Um, I love that he can do a little bit of everything, but he got his second save of the season, which is awesome. Um, he's the best arm on the team, so bring him in to close it out. Um, but the actual win went to a guy who is a fascinating story, and you should definitely, I think there's a video on Texas Sports or something about his journey, about how he ended up uh, in Texas, but they have an Italian pitcher, um, the first Italian to get a win for Texas baseball. Uh, but Matteo Bacci, who uh, I'm hoping uh, everyone just calls Bocci Ball, uh, um, got uh, got the win against Sam Houston State, so uh, I love seeing some bullpen talent um, in that game on uh, Tuesday, I believe, or Wednesday of last week. Yeah. So from there, Texas went on to uh, take a weekend series from Oklahoma State, two to one. Uh, they improved to fifteen to ten, fifteen and ten on this season. They're five and one in conference play. Their only loss of conference play so far is that Friday night loss to Oklahoma State. They're looking. They're looking like they could uh, have a really good run through the Big 12. You know, 15 and 10 may not be indicative of how good this team can be. Yeah, and, and 15 and 10 is about where they were last year, and they were just, you know, a few balls 
breaking the other way from a super regional berth last year and, and really kind of overachieving for what they, they did during the season. But this year, 15 and 10 feels like, you know, again, those games, we, we've talked about them against some of the best teams in, in baseball and, you know, being right there in, in a couple of those. So, uh, you know, that's that's a 15 and 10 that you feel pretty good about. And you look forward to this conference play uh, five and one now. I mean, they really they really shouldn't lose um, another series or more than one this year they they um should get a number next to their name pretty soon and they should uh and they should really kind of grow that as they go through the year and, and finish as one of the the premier teams um in the conference in the big 12 this year they they if they are not at least second in the conference right now is my gut feeling then um it's a little bit of a, a of a letdown for how much talent is on this team i think a lot of it is going to come down to um getting consistency across the starters the guys who who um, aren't Nolan Kingham, you know, and, and getting the, the bullpen to to be its best form of itself and kind of being on. Um, and then, like we've said a couple times, when your pitching is on, also having a couple runs to uh, to to add on to that and get those at the same time. Texas has struggled a little bit from leaving runners in scoring position this year like they did last year, um, but they're seeing some size of improvement. And, and just to give credit again to to Clemens, who's who's really looking like an All American this year. I mean, he's just lighting the lighting the ball up. So um, I mean, if they can get that, if they can continue to get offensive production at least from the top half of their lineup, get the pitching to kind of keep winning close games, um, then I think Coach Pierce has got a really good team on his hands. I'm I'm excited to see it. You know, I. I started my collegiate career with a baseball national championship, so I've had I feel this affinity. When baseball is good, life is good for for Gerald Goodridge. Uh, quickly, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Texas is lighting the tower this week for the men's swimming and diving team. They won their fourth consecutive team national championship, which four in a row is is pretty good. Which weirdly is actually how Eddie Reese started his career with the University of Texas as well. If I if my research does. Uh, is correct, but they've won their now 14th national title under Eddie Reese in his 40-4-0 year coaching career with the swimming and diving team. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, I, I don't, I you know, if we're a women's sports school, we're, we're also a, a swimming and diving school. This is clearly our most dominant sport. Um, it, it's incredible. We have we we have you know national champions and across different uh, events. We have Olympians. Eddie Reese has just done something. That's that's pretty truly unparalleled, and I mean, I think he goes on that um, on that all time kind of great coaching across sports. Um, you know, your your Bear Bryant's and your Geno's and your Eddie Reese. I mean, I think he is that for swimming, just a a figure that is so much bigger than the actual you know uh, component of its part, and just just looms over the whole sport. Um, I think you know Eddie Reese is just just a, a legend, and I hope he never retires. You know, just coach until you. Uh, until you can't, you know, can't get in the pool anymore. Uh, I love seeing him fully clothed jump into the pool to sing the eyes of Texas. It was awesome. Um, but, but yeah, just love this team. And so, so proud of, uh, so proud of them and the, the seniors who got four in a row. That's gotta be an incredible feeling and really just making the university proud. Yeah. I've, um, I've never won four of anything in a row. <laughs> so to win four national championships in a row, 
Probably a pretty decent feeling. I go out on a limb and say that. I have trouble getting four questions in a row on HQ. <laughs> I switched over to uh, to Cash Game. I don't know why it seems easier than HQ, so I went over there. I'm I'm bringing in some Skrilla on Cash Game. Nice. So, don't sleep. Uh, that's a don't sleep on it. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to. Uh, the point of the show where we honor one of our favorite traditions on the 40 acres, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Um, I just want to take a second to appreciate what we have at the University of Texas in the beautiful, beautiful human that is um, that is our, our coach, Brian Carrington. And, and I, 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 I'm a man of puns. I don't deny that. But we had, uh, we had a player formerly on, on the 40 Acres Carrington bind him. And I couldn't think anything other than if I were writing headlines that this would be Carrington burned him. Because um, Coach Carrington, or, or Brian Carrington, I should, should say, not Coach, um, just absolutely eviscerated an Ohio State coach who came in and from my recon what I can tell basically um, you know did the the online equivalent of throwing the horns down you know everything's uh, I think he tweeted out something like the best players in the state of Texas come to Texas um, you know type of thing and, and said uh, everything's bigger in Ohio you know after he secured a a recruit from here and, and Bindham just absolutely um, shredded him with all of the uh, all of the shush emojis applying in multiple ways but um, basically basically told him to go continue editing film film boy um stay in your lane and just just shredded him and my heart leaped and soared um at him just being uh being perfect you know like he he said basically you wanted to come to ut um and now you're gonna throw shade because he didn't get the job um don't make me pull the receipts which i love i love it's beautiful like if i'm a player and i'm looking at this guy he is young he's savvy he's swag he's confident he is, you know, completely bought in. Like, I get why recruits love this guy, and I get why UT wants to pay any amount of money um, to keep him. So for me, um, I'm banging the drum on, on on Brian Carrington and on Brian Carrington having a job at UT for as long as that man wants it. Like, pay him money, give him positions, whatever he needs. He just needs to be a part of UT's presence, social media presence, and on the 40 acres when kids come so they can hang out with this guy because I want to be good enough to hang out with Brian Carrington and try to recruit you know, commit to the university of Texas because I love this guy. Yeah. Um, it's hard not to like, I, I probably do too much talking of noise. So anytime I see somebody else that, that just has a, a just verbal murder on somebody, I, I completely, completely just absolutely love it. So, um, my my bang the drum. It's kind of a, a weird legacy situation. So uh, CBS Sports um, Tom Fernelli put out a um, biggest NFL draft quarterback bust of the BCS era uh, article, and it's getting a lot of heat because people just read the tweets and not the actual articles. Um, you know, he placed Texas great Vince Young as his biggest bust of the. Uh, BCS uh, era, biggest NFL bust of the BCS era. And he actually qualifies in it. If we're simply going by, this is a quote, if we're going simply by the bust metric, Young doesn't deserve to be number one on the list. And I have him, uh, but this is my list and I have him here for a very specific reason. And so basically he's saying that Vince Young was phenomenal in college and he was convinced him, he convinced himself that VY was going to be amazing in the NFL. Like so many of us did. Uh, and it just didn't quite pan out like it did. Um, 
I don't think you can talk out of both sides of your mouth like that. Uh, for me, either either um, either make the bed or or get out of it. Like that's really what I think. There's a more vulgar metaphor I could use there, but we'll just let that drop. Um, you know, one as a as a columnist, like stand by your opinion, like don't equivocate in there. But two, like the fact that like Vince Young is is higher on this list than Jamarcus Russell, who has more purple drink arrests than he does postseason appearances. Oh. Like, the fact that he's higher than Ryan Leaf, who has more rehab stints than he does play, playoff appearances. Uh, Timmy Sofa, who, 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 like, led the Cleveland Browns to continuing to be the Cleveland Browns. Like, RG3, who... I was a huge RG3 fan coming out of coming out of college, but, like... Brady Quinn is a guy like there are so there are like six Notre Dame quarterbacks that could probably be higher on this list than Vince Young. Like was I could was I disappointed that Vince's career went the way it did? Absolutely. Like I was banging the Vince Young drum like any Texas grad or any Texas, you know, uh, alum or any you know, Texas fan in the early 2000s. Like it just it just frustrates me that it feels very sensational it feels very uh, i don't want to say clickbaity because it's not in the headline it's not you know in the in the poll line it's just for me it it seems really tone deaf i don't yeah. even know it it's just it, it's just dumb like i'm just gonna say it. it's super dumb and i i a guy who was the rookie of the year and went to a pro bowl in no way shape or form regardless of your expectations as a writer yeah. should be labeled as the biggest bust out of anybody yeah, and and again, you watch those Rose Bowls. You you just imagine Vince Young is a Hall of Fame NFL quarterback. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I get it. He wasn't that. But I mean, I think there should be just a little bit of consideration of of context and and maybe just you know Google Jeff Fisher's um, relationship with the two quarterbacks um, in the in the uh, playoffs this year in the Super Bowl and in the the NFC Championship, which are all guys who looked like they could not make it in the NFL when they played for Jeff Fisher's Rams and then instantly left and were a thousand percent better. So I think maybe there's a little bit of reflection on Vince's uh, terrible head coach um, who he had to deal with. Yeah. Jeff Fisher sucks. We'll just leave it at that. Thank you so much for listening in again this week. Uh, before we go, Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Um, well, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. One place you can't find me any longer is uh, Shaggy, Shaggy Beva slash Shaggy Texas. Wanted to give them a quick shout out. That was the uh, rankest, direst corner of the Longhorn fandom, but they were also our guys and, and, you know, you hated them and you were embarrassed by them, but you couldn't help but laugh sometimes with the, the junk that came out of there and they officially are shutting down this week. So, uh, so you won't find me there, but you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can find me um, over at Barking Carnival writing the Texas pregamer, and you can uh, you can always find me on the podcast. Yeah, Shaggy was where I got introduced to uh, Thu Joan and Prevailing Ride, yes. which is my gosh, those <laughs> man! I'm so glad that he he has his own thing going, which is great. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at gh gooder. Shoot us an email for the show Longhorn Republic Pod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter. You can tweet at us as well, as well simply Longhorn Pod. Uh, please, again, if you like what we do, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe wherever you find your podcast. And you can find me personally on the internet um, on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodridge. And if you're into nerd news and that type of stuff, you can check me out on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds, with our good buddy, Raymond Summerlin. Thanks so much for listening again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Go to Texas Relays.